Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden, and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Eve Rees is a historian at La Trobe University, co-host of the Archive Fever podcast, and author of All About Eve, Notes from a Transition. They are also a co-editor of Nothing to Hide, Voices of Trans and Gender Diverse Australia. Eve was awarded the 2020 Calibre Essay Prize and they performed this story at Melbourne Writers' Festival. Most of the time, I do a decent impression of an inner-city queer. I have the tattoos, the undercut, the body hair... I walk around in colourful, ironic boiler suits, carrying a pretentious tote bag and a soy flat white. (laughs) My Northcote apartment is filled with houseplants, moleskin notebooks and the collected works of Maggie Nelson. I own a bike instead of a car and though I technically have a licence... I'd rather pash Barnaby Joyce than actually drive anywhere. (laughs) But I'm here to make a confession. I'm here to tell you that all that good performative queerness hides a deeper, shameful truth. At heart, I'm a hiking nerd. That's right, I'm a devotee of the very wholesome, very non-urban, very unhip and very straight world of multi-day bushwalking. <laughs> Five days of blisters and no showers, eating trail mix and sleeping on the damp ground? Now that's my idea of heaven. Later this year, I'm even dedicating two weeks of annual leave to a 16-day hike on Victoria's western coast. That's right, I could go to New York or Berlin for my holidays, but instead I'm walking to Nelson. (laughs) I love the walking itself, but I especially love the apparatus of hiking, the stuff I'm what they call a gearhead, the kind of tedious bore who fixates on gadgets and gets a real kick off shaving 10 or 20 grams off overall pack weight. (laughs) My idea of heaven is to browse Bogon camping supplies on Little Burke Street, comparing the relative size and weight of different camping mugs. In my free time, I daydream about hiking socks. And I'm on a lifelong quest to produce the optimal menu of dehydrated foods. Maximum taste for minimal weight. After every walk, I'd write up notes about what worked and what didn't, always in pursuit of the ultimate kit. Next time, or the time after that, I will have perfected my packing list. Now, in many ways, I'm an unlikely devotee of Gore-Tex. Not only am I a bookish queer allergic to sports, 
But there was no camping in my childhood. My parents didn't own a tent, and their idea of a good time was more Sydney hotel than sleeping bag. My entry into the hiking cult happened by accident when I joined Duke of Ed in year 10. There's a few, a few knowing groans in the audience. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, the Duke of Edinburgh Awards Scheme was a youth development program that, amongst other things, taught the basics of hiking, like how to read a map and use a compass. It involved hordes of rowdy teens heading off into the bush with our, in retrospect, very noble high school math teacher and her husband. Our first training walk in March 2003 did not get off to a good start. It was designed to be a simple day walk in some local bushland, a low-stakes opportunity to test out our newfound compass skills. We divided into small groups, each with a year 11 trainer and a supervising parent, and set off into the scrub. The first sign that something was wrong was the helicopter. <laughs> it buzzed overhead around lunchtime as we stopped to eat our sandwiches. A rescue helicopter, how dramatic, how exciting. We knew, of course, that it must be for someone else. We were on a perfectly safe training session. Nothing bad would happen to us. Rescue helicopters were the kind of thing that happened to other people. Several hours later, my group stomped into the car park, sweaty but triumphant. Mission accomplished. We had successfully deciphered the swirl of lines on the topographic map. Time for a shower and a hot meal. Then we saw the faces, grim, stunned faces, cheeks streaked with tears. There'd been an accident, we were told. An older boy, one of the year 11 trainers, had fallen off a cliff. He'd walked ahead of the group and suddenly the ground had disappeared. He'd fallen 20 metres. He died. He was dead. My mother, my hiking novice mother, who was just there to make up the numbers, she was a parent in that group. She'd walked with him that morning, had watched him run ahead of the others, had been one of the last people to see him alive. David, that was his name. I'll never forget the aching silence that filled the car as we drove home. After David died, things fell apart fast. He was an older kid that I'd never really known, but his death shook my whole community. It was an age before grief counsellors and trauma literacy, and we kids stumbled around shook and numb, lacking the skills or language to process the experience. My beloved maths teacher, the Duke of Ed coordinator, went on stress leave and returned a shadow of her former self. David's parents, who owned the local health food store, were reduced to walking ghosts. And my mum, who'd been in David's group, she was hollowed out by shock and sadness. 
For months afterwards, she felt haunted and her health crumbled. For her, David's death was the final devastating blow after a run of bad luck. In the previous four years, she dealt with a humiliating redundancy, a marriage breakdown, a parent's terminal illness, and my own anorexia. Now this accident. She retreated to bed, sick and sad, her body ravaged by painful inflammation. That year, mum was diagnosed with a chronic illness that still shapes her life today, almost 20 years on. These days, she's better than she was, but she can't bushwalk anymore. David's death meant a lot of things to different people, but in the story of my life, it was a moment when things fell apart, when the adults in the room went to pieces and I realised grown-ups were not gods, when my mother, my best friend, my main carer, my whole universe disappeared into a black hole of sickness and I had to grow up fast. It was a loss of innocence, a fall, both literal and figurative, from the blind trust of childhood into the painful realities of adult life. You see, as you might have figured out by now, I'm not just here to confess my hiking proclivities. I'm here to talk about death and what it does to those left behind. You might not have expected this dark turn, but neither did we. David's death came out of nowhere on a sunny Sunday morning full of good cheer. There was no warning, no ominous signs, and that made it all the more shocking to live through. None of us returned from that hike the same person. But in the aftermath, we did return to the trail. David's death didn't turn us off hiking. In fact, the opposite happened. My Duke of Ed cohort was bound together by this tragedy, and we spent the next three years trudging through the bush on weekends and school holidays. In my 20s, I dragged my partner on hiking vacations in New Zealand and Tasmania, and these days I hike solo or with friends. I've spent thousands upon thousands on hiking gear, and I've always got my eye on the next purchase. In psychology, there's a concept called repetition compulsion. Originally coined by Freud, repetition compulsion is used to describe how we humans continually repeat the past, especially painful or destructive events. There are lots of theories about why this happens, but one school of thought suggests that we relive our traumas in order to fix them. We cycle back to that painful moment again and again and again in hopes that this time we'll rewrite the story and put everything right. Recently, I've been wondering if, my, if repetition compulsion can explain my compulsive passion for hiking, and especially hiking gear. Maybe I keep returning to the trail each time with better and better equipment in an effort to revisit my original hike and change the outcome. This time, or the next, or the one after that, I'll have perfected my planning, I'll have absolutely foolproof gear, and nothing will go wrong. 
David won't die, Mum won't get sick, and I will get to keep believing the world is safe. I just need to try a little bit harder. I just need to buy a new raincoat or find better snacks or take a different hat. If I can just make the walk perfect, everything will be okay after all. It hasn't happened yet, but I'll probably keep trying. And in the meantime, you can catch me on the trail. I'll be the one dressed in head-to-toe Gore-Tex, eating dehydrated hummus, and trying to get my portable solar panel to work. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out Queer Stories on Patreon, where you can support the project for as little as $1 per month. Follow Queer Stories on Facebook for news and event updates. And follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.